You're listening to Why Try, the podcast. Cassandra Farrington is founder of Marijuana Business Daily, a company that covers the daily news of the fast-paced marijuana industry. I learned a ton about the industry and where it's going, and I really think I only scratched the surface. So if you want to learn more after our conversation, check out mjbizdaily.com. Hope you enjoy. So MJ Biz Daily, what has become MJ Biz Daily, is the um, go-to resource for cannabis industry professionals for the day, day, you know, their daily business news pages for this industry. Just like every local paper has the business section, we are the business section for the cannabis space. And we are nationwide and international. We cover the entirety of the industry, but only from the business-to-business perspective. And um, we've been doing that since we launched the what has turned into MJ Biz Daily in 2011. Um, we we got that going and have been serving the industry with that ever since. What made you decide to start this company? Uh, so honestly, my business partner and I just simply have a background in B2B media. And we had a company that we had started to do very niche content for really focused industries um, and professionals in very specific lines of work. Cannabis was actually our third launch. And back at the in the day that we did it, it was absolutely a very small, very niche, fast growing to be sure, um, but very specialized industry. Just through listening to the audience that we were serving and giving them what they said that they needed to continue to do their jobs better and run their businesses more effectively, we have followed the growth of the industry very effectively. And in fact, one of the things that I am most proud of, I really feel like what we created here has helped this industry activate in such an effective way. Without a resource, resource such as MJ Biz Daily, um, I don't think this industry would have coalesced nearly as quickly as it has. Can you talk a little bit more specifically about that? Yeah, so um, when we started the if the publication, it was originally a how-to type resource was the original goal, a how-to type resource for the uh, dispensary owners. People very quickly said, we don't need that. What we need are the is the daily business news. So we understand what's going on, not just here in Denver, for example, where I am, but in San Francisco and in Portland. Um, and as we followed that, they then next said, well, we need some benchmarks. We know what our costs are and what security, for example, costs for the dispensary here in Denver. We don't know if that's in line with what the folks in San Francisco are paying or the people in Portland, Maine are, pay- are paying. Uh, and so we launched the fact book, which really started tracking and therefore being able to forecast the future growth of the cannabis space. From there, uh, they were telling us we really would love a place to gather with our fellow professional cannabis industry executives in a way that's not at a High Times Cannabis Cup or a KushCon festival where we're not surrounded by a lot of plant enthusiasts that are specifically looking to celebrate the plant. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not a great environment to be doing business deals and to be advancing your own business. Um, <laughs> right. So we set out to create the conference. And I think it's very clear with MJ BizCon that we just had a couple of weeks ago in Las Vegas, um, year over year, every time we've hosted that event, it's very clear that the next year of industry deal flow and development and connections launches off of that event in November in Las Vegas. And 
then feeds into all of that activity that starts there, feeds into the daily business news pages at MJ Biz Daily, into the advanced practices that we feature in the magazine, into the fact book and the benchmarks that we're able to put together the following year, all of which lead to the next MJ BizCon and starts that cycle all over again. It seems like you guys are a really valuable hub of information for people. What works well in monetizing that? Well, we, um, to be totally frank, I mean, the event drives the, the uh, financials for the business. Um, and that's just the nature of having a very large event. Um, the rest of our products are certainly profitable and, and sustainable in their own right. But the um, really, it would be a, a very close call and, and much tougher to do everything that we do as effectively as we do without the additional contributions that this show gives to the overall financials for the business. Um, and so gathering that community and engaging that community online, in the magazine, you know, through the um, through the premium information products we produce, keeping that conversation going with those folks year-round and keeping our brand and, and our brand premise, which is that trusted business advisor, um, front of mind for them. That's what then drives attendance and participation at the event. It kind of reminds me of basically content marketing where you where you produce a lot of high-quality content that in itself is kind of hard to monetize, but you develop a relationship and trust with your audience where eventually you sell them something that is of much higher value and they're more likely to buy into that. I, I, I would generally agree with that. I'd, I'd qualify it a couple of different ways. A lot of people who are doing that content marketing play and are doing it very effectively, the content is biased toward their end goal. Whereas we're, which is not, again, not a bad thing. If you are an excellent marketer and you are running a content site, talking to people about how to do excellent marketing and also doing consulting on the back end for companies, that's an awesome business model. That's great. And we know a lot of people who do that. For us, we have always taken the perspective of being an independent, journalistic, unbiased news organization. And in fact, that element of our brand, I think, is what has kept us very front of mind and very trusted for the cannabis community. We don't tell people, we're not saying, we're not selling consulting on the back end. What we are doing at the event is exactly the same thing we're doing with the daily, which is providing great information, connecting you with your community of fellow business professionals, those sorts of things. It's just an alive event just live format instead of online format instead of a print format. So when you were first getting it started, what did you do to get traction? Uh, so it, honestly, it's it's a typical, fairly typical content play, right? You you start putting out great information. You start telling people about it. You ask those people, if the, you think this is valuable, please share it with others you think may be val- find it valuable. They sh- pass it along and you're off to the races. Um, and again, the quality of the product that we have been putting out since the get-go, I think, is what really helped us get that very early traction. Also, no question that when we got started, we it was a very early stage industry. We were a first mover and that first mover advantage, no question, has been instrumental in us uh, maintaining that position throughout. Yeah, that was actually something I wanted to ask you about. Can you talk a little bit about what's made you successful where others haven't been? 
Uh, I'd go back to that core premise of the brand that we provide unbiased, independent, journalistic-driven business news and information that the industry can trust as being presented authentically. We're not just, re- we're not, we don't, um, for example, a lot of the other industry publications do have content um, contributions from industry experts and f- consultants, for example. And again, could be, usually is great information. But you ha- every people, when they read that and they know it's been written by a consultant or somebody who is offering those services on the back end, they do filter it through that. But they turn to MJ Biz Daily when they want that information, when they're looking for that advice or that how-to, that best practice um, for that they know is going to have been stripped of any of those biases. Sure. Yeah. Objectivity. Objectivity. Thank you for that word. Yeah. So kind of moving in a different direction, it seems like the marijuana industry has seen a lot of change and probably will continue to see a lot of change uh, for the foreseeable future. Has that been a benefit for you in your company? Um, it's just the reality. I don't know that I've ever thought about it as a benefit or a detriment. Um, it's a, honestly, it's a ton to keep up with. We have to stay on our toes every single day of the year. Um, so in that regard, it can be very hard to keep up with the growth, keep up with the changes, keep the business focused on that changing um, goal, whatever that is. Uh, when, when we start to launch a business idea, by the time it actually hits the launch date, it may have morphed completely. That could be just two months later. And those are based on the industry changes. Um, but I don't know that I've, as I said, I don't know that I've thought about it as a benefit or a detriment so much as I've just accepted it as the reality. It is part of the challenge and part of the thrill and the adventure of running a business in the cannabis space. And that goes not just for MJ Biz Daily, but across this industry. And anybody who's looking to engage in this needs to understand that every single entrepreneur, every single investor, every single professional that decides to make a leap into this space, you are signing up to help chart the future path of this industry. That can be really exciting for certain personalities and certain backgrounds. It can be a real challenge for people who aren't as well suited for that. Yeah, it's really the Wild West. It is. It is. So can you talk about some of the opportunities that might not be appreciated by the average person? Some of the opportunities that the average entrepreneur, the average person who may be looking for to make a play from the mainstream um, is that it's we're not just building new companies. It kind of gets back to what I was saying a moment ago. We are building a new we're, – we're charting a new way to build an industry. And this is an industry – if you think about it this way – The cannabis industry is the first major economic industry that has come online since the dot-com boom. One of the reasons it has activated so quickly is because we have all of that technology that was created in the dot-com boom fueling the growth and acceleration of this space. And that means everything from the connectivity, the fact that we can put something like MJ Biz Daily online and use social and viral to, to spread the word about it and to get the traction that we would not have been able to back in the days of print. Um, and that goes for all the companies. Um, all the way through to the tools that people use in their everyday business 
that are, are helping the cannabis industry be a safe, regulated, compliant uh, activity, right? Um, the compliance obligations on these companies that are touching the plant are extreme. Without the technology, it would have taken significantly longer to get those systems in place and to bring them forward effectively to the way that governments feel comfortable with them. Because those technology tools exist, that's one of the most interesting things, I think, about this industry and why it's come online so quickly. So what's your take on the product testing industry? Do you have a take on where that's going? Do you think there's a lot of value there? I see huge value in in people, whether they're patients or whether they're a recreational consumer, understanding what is in the substance that they are about to put into or onto their body. The challenge is, and this gets back to federal law, it gets back to the um, lack of science and understanding that there is around the plant, and that, that has been lacking for decades because of federal law here in the United States. We don't have reliable methods there. We're going to get there. We can very reliably test things in many, many, many other industries. We just need to understand more about the cannabis plant, what's in it, um, what can get into it during the production process um, so that we can look for those things and make sure that we are delivering that very safe and understood product to that end consumer for whatever reason they're using it for. It's got to get there, and that is going to be key to widespread mainstream acceptance of cannabis as both a wellness product and as an alternative for other recreational products. We just need to get past the uh, – we need to – you know, hyper accelerate the science side of it, which indeed is happening. It seems like theoretically it should be possible, but maybe like the technology isn't there yet. Exactly. That's exactly it. And there is widespread acceptance that it needs to get there. And there are lots of people working, lots of smart people working on that specifically. So next to the opportunities, what do you see as some of the underappreciated risks? (laughs) There are risks everywhere in this industry. I don't know that um, any of them are unknown or underappreciated necessarily. I think it's just really important. I think the thing that's underappreciated is the the fact that risks are around you 360 degrees, no matter whether you are touching the plant where, yes, those risks do augment and, and, ex- and go up extensively. Um, but even if you're not, we still have to, as an ancillary business that does not touch the plant, we still have to navigate some of those risks. But it's also important to keep in mind, it's simply a risk mitigation exercise, right? So is there a chance we would get our bank account shut down? Yeah. So what do we do to mitigate that? We have three bank accounts. Is there a chance that um, somebody could do something silly at our show and you know, start flashing a, a pound of cannabis around and saying, hey, does anybody want to buy this off of me? What do we do? We have legal representation. We have um, terms and conditions that makes everybody, every single individual compliant or responsible themselves for their own conduct and behavior and adherence to regulations and laws. It's simply a risk mitigation exercise. And if you can think through that, manage that effectively, then this can be a great place for you. It seems key just to be describing who's responsible for what, like any business, but you have to be very mindful of it. Yeah, you do. You cannot put your head in the sand of, oh, and about it. And it's every single day you're, you're navigating those risks and thinking about 
for my business, what is the best risk mitigation strategy for the situation I'm facing right now? So my impression is that there are some bigger, better funded operators coming into the space. Do you see potential for commoditization within the industry that might lead to pressure on prices? Are there any industries that offer an interesting parallel for this in your view? Um, The one that I hear most, and I think it is very uh, apt, is the beer industry. Here in Colorado, here in Colorado, um, we have tons of craft brewers who put out fantastic small batches of product, have great followings. People, in fact, look for and are always looking for the newest, the hippest, the most exciting, you know, the the most innovative craft brew to try. Um, and you still also have great sales for. Budweiser and Miller and, you know, all of those mass market beers. So yes, cannabis in the big scheme of things, it is, it is an agricultural product. It will be produced at mass scale for as cheap as possible. And you will end up in um, some regards with a race to lower those costs, to put out as much product as possible, to feed as an ingredient into branded end user consumer products then it becomes the difference between corn as a commodity and corn flakes as a brand. That's the challenge ahead. That seems like a good analogy because it seems almost like a grower of the plant could become like a a farmer who produces barley or something. Exactly, which is a great business model. I mean, being a farmer is a very worthwhile and and interesting endeavor if that's what interests you. Do you think it's more differentiated than just hops and barley? Is there more potential than that? Um, I, at that point, I, when, again, I am not, uh, you know, one of these craft brew aficionados, so I'm not going to, I don't want to pretend like I know a lot about different strains or varietals of hops and barley and things like that. But, um, I would then talk about it more in terms of grapes and wines, right? You have dozens, hundreds of varietals of grapes that can go into a Chardonnay, right? Chardonnay is a fairly common product and then it gets branded into, you know, the, 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 the specific vineyard that's producing a particular Chardonnay. Um, I think that that's kind of the, what we will end up seeing is, you know, you'll have a mass market product that is, yes, commoditized to a large degree and then branded by its specific producer. So as all that unfolds, what do you see as interesting on the customer education front? Um, I think that there are simply more and more people each and every day paying attention to the possibilities of cannabis as both a wellness product and a recreational product. Now, no question, you have very large segments of this marketplace that are very open, very familiar with the product, um, and just truly cannot wait until they can once again be open about their own preference for cannabis over other recreational substances or relaxation substances like a glass of wine, whatever that is. Um, But you also have huge segments of the population. I was one of them who grew up in the just say no era. Don't touch drugs. This is your brain on drugs, gateway drug, all of those things. And that those decades of misinformation are being overcome right now in water cooler conversations at the office, at cocktail parties, at Christmas parties, holiday parties right now. You know, people are being much more open about 
really this isn't such a big deal. And in fact, you could get a lot of benefit for your sore back if you really wanted to try this. And no, it's not going to you know, send you into this drug-fueled zombie, ruin-your-life state. Do you feel a sense of purpose in your work? And if so, where does that come from? I absolutely feel a huge sense of purpose in what I do. Um, my, our, our parent business, back before even we started Marijuana Business Daily, was founded on the premise of helping people do their jobs better and helping people run their businesses better. And that has been my sense of purpose throughout. I get huge pride out of understanding that the work that I do is helping hundreds and thousands of even of entrepreneurs decide every day, all right, this is something that I'm interested in pursuing and I'm going to go found a business and I'm going to hire additional people for that as soon as I get traction and they're going to be able to go out and, you know, buy a car or put their kids into ballet lessons or go out to dinner. You know, it's just that I feel like what we're doing is a huge benefit to the economy and to society overall because of all of those benefits that the cannabis industry is bringing to society. I also, one of my most proud things that that I get out of my job is, and this happens maybe about once a month, is that I ha- hear one of my employees somehow, someway say something along the lines of, this is the funnest, best job I've ever had. Um, and that means a lot to me. It's part of why I took the leap out of corporate was because I wanted a job that I liked going to and wanted to go to most days. Of course, everybody has days they really just need a mental health day. I still am there. But, you know, you, you, you need to like what you do and you need to want to go most days. And it's hugely important to like the people that you're doing it with. And the team that I've built here, we are a great integrated and supportive network of people who all buy into the mission of the business and the mission of the industry. Those seem like areas where you really get a sense of personal success and accomplishment. I, I can just hear it in your voice, like you're excited about it. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. I This has been the adventure of my life. And I promise you that even you know eight years ago, if you had told me that I would have been last week testifying at the Nevada Gaming Policy Commission in front of Governor Sandoval about the propriety of cannabis business events in casino facilities, like you could have knocked me over with a feather. And and how we have put this industry together, we, like the entire industry, have put this together, yes, with the support and the contribution of companies like MJ Biz Daily, but we are by no means the only one who've done that. We are part of that network that has brought this entire industry online and just how we've done that has been just phenomenal. It's been the adventure of my life. So it seems like with entrepreneurship in general, this seems like an area where people can get a lot of personal satisfaction, potential satisfaction. It depends on the person, like you mentioned. Who do you think is a good fit for that? Who should get into that Wild West type industry? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say that there are um, actually a fair number of accidental entrepreneurs in this space, by which I mean people who either, um, and this one particularly on the female front, the female entrepreneurship side, um, people who came to cannabis originally because they were looking for solutions that they could not find elsewhere for themselves, 
for their sick children, for their elderly parents in a caregiver type opportunity uh, uh, situation. And once they had that solution in cannabis and they realized how life changing it was when they got their own lives and their own time back and had an opportunity to go back into the workforce, what they wanted to do was share that solution with others. Um, so I think coming at it authentically for reasons like that, whether you've been a lifelong cannabis consumer or have found it recently, there are a number of people in this industry who simply fully deeply believe in the benefits of cannabis and are willing and what they want to do with their lives is share that knowledge and understanding with other people. And they set out to find a way to do that. Um, the other people who I think are becoming into the industry much more recently, they're absolutely following a business opportunity, which is fine. It is great. Um, that's what's going to help continue to drive this forward and continue professionalizing the industry, bringing more best practices in, bringing better thought processes and, um, and innovation into the industry, um, transferring knowledge from other industries into cannabis. Um, now, I will say too, though, that you don't come, even people who come into this for business pure reasons, you're not in this industry for very long before the social justice reasons really kind of get under your skin. Whether it's the, the vets with PTSD or the, the kids with epilepsy or the um, science that we still don't have that could prove or disprove whether cannabis can be very effective for certain types of cancer. Um, as well as the harm mitigations that go along as we, that come up as we decrease the impact of the drug war of the last several decades. Um, the drug war has been something that's really destroyed lives and destroyed generations and families. Uh, and that's not okay. Not when you're doing it about a plant that actually has real benefits to people. Yeah, definitely a lot of injustice there. I think uh, more and more people are appreciating that. You, you touched on it a little bit in your last answer, but can you talk a little bit about your experiences as a woman in the industry and how you see the opportunity for women in the marijuana space? Yeah, um, that's been the other aspect of my path here in the cannabis industry that I could never have imagined myself filling, but I am so excited and proud of the um, visibility that I am able to provide to other females and you know, hopefully inspiration that they can also belong very securely in this industry. Um, the, like I said, a lot of women, especially I think come in this accidentally either through those wellness and, you know, healthcare caregiving solutions, um, path that I described earlier, or this was more my path. I hit the corporate wall. I hit the glass ceiling. I was, um, an, a high flying, you know, fast track kind of person at a very large bank and totally hit the wall and stopped drinking that corporate Kool-Aid quickly and was looking for something else. Wanted to go out, build something myself. And what that, what I built ended up moving into cannabis and what we've built here in cannabis has ended up being extremely effective for many, many people. Um, I, I'd say that overall in the industry, we are still so new here the industry is growing so quickly and there are so many opportunities that women can slot directly in based on their legitimate and authentic experience, background, education. They can go from you know, being pinned at some mid-level 
position at a large company where they can't get through that next layer because the guys are getting the the advantages and the promotions, they can slot right in at those positions that make sense based on their background, their experience, their education, and really make a make a difference in this industry in ways that they couldn't as quickly in the mainstream world. It seems like, at least in the Wild West type scenario, like you don't have time for BS. It's just so results driven is that you need the people who will give the best result, regardless of what they look like. So you can't really afford to have like the old boys club. It's just if a woman can get the results better than some random guy can, there's an opportunity there for talented people, regardless of their background. Absolutely. Can you comment on that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, there, there absolutely is. Um, and, and frankly, I think especially in cannabis, but I've noticed this elsewhere in other parts of my life too. Over the last year especially, I feel like there has been a corollary coming up to that good old boys club, which is like the women's tribe, right? The people who I am connected to and can pick up the phone and call uh, for whatever happens to come up, whether I'm looking for a recommendation for a lawyer in a particular state or, you know, I don't know, that's just a random example that I feel like I have that good old boys network now surrounding me and that's huge and important for um, deal flow, for job searching, for talent searching, for me as a business executive, you know, who am I going to bring into my business next? There are, that women's network is growing so quickly and if a company is not tapped into that network by having female executives who actually are trusted and included in that business decision-making process, they're, they're going to start missing out on that deal flow and all that, that, you know, all of those other things that, that are going on in the women's network. Um, which is not to say that the, the men aren't equally important. I feel very strongly that diversity means diversity. And we don't become more diverse by excluding men from the conversation or from the room or from the picture or saying, we're going to be a women's only organization. It is critical to have that diversity of thought and opinion and approach. I need sometimes, you know, I as a female, and this is partly me being a female and partly just my personality, I am very collaborative and inclusive and um, thoughtful about my decision making process. I need sometimes the guys on my team to give me a kick in the pants and say, we're starting to navel gaze here, make a decision. That's important. I mean, for me personally, I feel like I work better in mixed groups of both men and women. And I feel like whatever differences there are is more of a benefit than anything else. Well, let me, let me frame it this way. You know how there's a lot of research and and just advice out there about working with millennials, people from, you know, the Gen X time, you know, we get a lot of input and advice about, hey, here's how you motivate millennials. Here's how you keep millennials engaged in your organization. This is how you keep them on staff or those sorts of things, right? There is nothing out there similar to that for women. Here's how you get the best out of your women staff. Here are ways to keep the women staff engaged and get the get the information and and the input you need about from them to make great business decisions and training for those guys, right? I have always been somebody who believes very strongly that somebody breaking down in tears at the office, I have never seen a guy do that. I have seen women do that. And I take it authentically that they are so bought in and frustrated by something that they are not able to change right now, that it is 
just coming out emotionally. I have never seen a guy get that invested in his job that he breaks down in tears. It's okay. But I understand that guys who don't get that way maybe need some tricks and some tips and some guidance, some training, some coaching to say, hey, if you've got a staff or you've got a peer who is so visibly frustrated that they can't deal with the situation at the moment, here are some ways to help them through that. Instead, without demeaning them, without belittling them, without thinking that they're weak because they're not weak. I guess the more progress you see and the more present and powerful women become in the workforce, more of those sorts of conversations start to happen. So it really snowballs where it might be easier today than it would be for someone 20 years ago than it would be for someone 40 years ago. Is, is that, Absolutely. do you think it's fair? I do. I do think that's very fair. Um, and, you know, getting back to the cannabis industry specifically, the issues of diversity and inclusion, not just female to male diversity, but ethnic diversity at the highest levels of businesses in the cannabis industry are topics of conversation that we have every single day in this industry. It is front of mind. So many companies, including MJ Biz Daily, are working hard to keep it front of mind and make sure that this industry develops differently, that it looks different and acts differently than the industries that have come before us. We are seeming to have some impact on that it's no, by no means going to be a slam dunk or an easy road to get there. I remain very hopeful that as we continue down this path, we will create a different model that the mainstream, indus- mainstream world can look at and say, the, the cannabis industry does a great job of that. What's going on here and how can we make those changes in our industry too? Yeah, that's a great point. And I know we just have a couple of minutes left here. So do you mind if we just power through a couple questions? So first off, what advice would you give to someone thinking about starting their own business? The thing that has helped me most is to truly take a deep, hard look at who I am, who I'm not, and be remain authentic to that. Um, I am not a, a very great natural networker. I'm not a glad hander. I'm not a salesperson. I know that. And I have great team members around me that I've brought on, this, on board my staff who are and help me make those initial forays and then I can take it from there. Um, that's been a great benefit, but it's come from the fact that I know myself really well. Uh, and if you, and on the corollary to that, if you are doing something that you think you'd always wanted to do, maybe you do make a leap into the cannabis industry because it's always been your dream to do something on your own. You love the plant and you can't imagine being part of anything more exciting than the cannabis industry at this early stage. But maybe it's just not the right thing for you. Don't hold on to dreams if they're not working. Go find a new dream. There are plenty of dreams out there. It's rough advice, maybe, depending on where you are in the process, but probably best over the long run. Right. So next, go back in time about 10 years ago and give yourself an extra hour a day. How would you spend that hour? Honestly, it would be all about self-care, especially since we started this business and and especially the cannabis element within it, it has been, it has turned into a marathon, but that marathon has been run at absolute flat out sprint pace every single day. Um, And it's very difficult to maintain that. Um, And so making sure that 
I take that time for myself has been extremely difficult. Sometimes I do better at it than others, um, but it's important for my family. It's important for my staff to see that I'm doing that because it encourages them to do that. And I know that they do much better both themselves personally as well as in their contributions to my business if they are doing that as well. And finally, do you have any books or resources that were most useful for you? So I, um, yeah, I was thinking about this question in advance and I'm actually not a big business book reader. I've never been that person. I've always gotten much more out of a great one-on-one conversation with somebody with a different perspective on business or coming from a different background that I, um, enjoy engaging with, um, and just batting things back and forth with them. I get tons of insights and learnings from those sorts of conversations. Um, one specific resource or, or thought approach maybe that I would recommend when I was, uh, doing my MBA, I took this absolutely phenomenal class on organizational complexity and I think about that class each and every day. There are a lot of um, academic works and I'm sure even just general business approaches to organizational complexity that are out there. I don't have a specific recommendation for a book, but just that that line of thought and that framework has absolutely informed everything I do every single day as an entrepreneur. Thanks so much for taking the time. This has been a really fun conversation for me and I hope you found it valuable as well. I did. Thank you so much, Nicholas. I, uh, I really enjoy these conversations and I love sharing the story both of MJ Biz Daily and of female entrepreneurship and everything that we're doing here. Thank you. You can find Cassandra's business, Marijuana Business Daily, at mjbizdaily.com. It's a really great resource for anyone wanting to get a deeper understanding of the industry or stay up to date. Our conversation just scratches the surface of what is out there for you to learn if you're interested. Music for this podcast is by Cambrian Explosion, who make music that can be enjoyed by marijuana enthusiasts and non-enthusiasts alike. Find their music at cepdx.bandcamp.com, iTunes, and Spotify. Lastly, all this marijuana talk is making me hungry. If you're looking for some great new recipes to try out, check out nicholaspeel.com cooking. I've got a lot of recipes for good old-fashioned Sunday night dinners, like baked chicken, meatloaf, and hamburger barley soup. Got lots of good desserts, too. I'm adding to it constantly, especially with holiday desserts, so make sure you check it out from time to time, especially during these cold winter months. It's very cozy. Thanks for listening.